Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John tonight chapter 3. Tonight in John chapter 3, in the midst of this great chapter, we're going to talk about a subject that is probably unexpected. Uh, In the middle of this great chapter, we're going to talk about what is most likely a subject that we might say doesn't exactly fit uh, what has gone on so far in this chapter. Now, if you think about it, uh, in the Gospel of John, moving into this night, we have talked about the saving mission of Christ, that he came not to condemn, but he came to save. Uh, We have talked about in this chapter the, the plan of salvation, how God has sent his only begotten son that through him we would be saved. We've looked at in the hearing of the gospel, in the study of the gospel, God's love. And we see how tremendous he is in love. We've looked at God's grace and how, how tremendous his grace is shown to us as sinners, how we receive it in faith. In this chapter, we've talked about the second birth, that we are regenerated, made regenerate by the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, We've talked about the remedy for sin, the remedy for sinners that must be held up, our Savior Jesus. So much that we've talked about, so much that we've passed through, and then there is this subject. Again, it may seem like a subject that doesn't fit, but it is the subject tonight of humility. Probably a great subject. For sure, I know it's a needed subject, but it doesn't seem to fit here, or does it? You see, the Christian life, the one described in John chapter 3, in fact, the one described all the way through John's gospel, really rests on humility. Now, I want you to think about that. To come to Jesus requires humility. It requires that we would see our sin, that we would evaluate and truly see ourselves, that we would see in ourselves the lack of a remedy, and that we would submit, that we would turn to Jesus. It really requires the surrender of our pride. There's a lot of folks, and they can't come to Christ, can't come to Jesus, because they will not set down their pride. To come to Jesus requires humility. Now, on top of that, to walk with Jesus requires humility. Uh, To walk with Jesus, to have a walk with him, requires that we would defer to him, that we would trust him uh, over ourselves, and that we would take steps of obedience, take steps of faith. And so not only to find Jesus, to receive Jesus takes humility, to walk with Jesus takes humility. And I'll just tell you, it is consistently, daily, walking in humility that is required to walk with Jesus. Sometimes we start off in our walk. Sometimes we get derailed in our walk. And the problem is we start to think, what, you know what, I've got it figured out. You know what, I, I've got the pieces put together. It is a consistent walk in humility that results in our ability to walk with Jesus Christ. Now, not only that, To serve Jesus also requires humility. It requires us to say, you know what, your name 
is more important than my name. Your cause is bigger than my cause. And any cost that I might pay, you're worthy of that. You're much more worthy than that. And to serve Jesus requires humility. Let me add this. And the greater the service, the greater the humility. And so we see, really, it's not that far-fetched to see this subject here in this great chapter of John chapter 3. And so tonight, led by our verses, here in John chapter 3, humility is our subject. Tonight, our message is entitled, A Matter of Perspective. A Matter of Perspective. Tonight, we're in John chapter 3, moving along, verses 22 through 30. John chapter 3, tonight, verses 22 through 30. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning here in verse 22, God's Word says this. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man cannot receive, can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we are thankful for this opportunity on a Monday night. We're thankful for this opportunity to have and to hold and to look at, study here your word. Lord, I pray that you would lay it open to us tonight. I pray that you would speak to us tonight. I pray for the, the folks that are here in person, those that are listening by some other means. I pray, Lord, again that tonight, on this 17th night, that it is a supernatural event and that the, the, the Spirit of God and the, and the Word of God leads us and directs us, convicts us, guides us, builds us. And Lord, I pray if, if, if there's one and maybe, maybe some, maybe many that do not know you, I pray that in the hearing of good news that tonight, this very night, be the, might be the night of their salvation. Lord, we give you this hour. We, we pray that you're pleased with it, that you're known through it, that you're glorified in it. We tell you, Lord, we love you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, I want to tell you this, and you, you probably already know it, but I want to bring it to, to our, our line of vision tonight as we begin. Tonight, we live in the ultimate day of self-promotion. 
And I, I don't know, our system is set up and the things we have now, the, the technology we have, I think more than any time on earth, we live in the ultimate day of self-promotion. We live in the day of self-exaltation. And we actually live in a day when the greatest thing that you can be is to be known. And isn't that weird? The greatest thing that you could be in 2021 is to be seen. And the greatest thing is not to be moral. The greatest thing is not to be good, not to be productive, to invent something. The, the greatest thing is not to be smart. The greatest thing is not to have character or, or work ethic or some sort of integrity. The greatest thing in our day is to be known. The greatest thing in our day is that others would see us and we would be seen. Now, don't get mad, but have you noticed lately it is not a good meal until you take a picture of it and post it, making everybody feel bad about the meal they're eating. It is not a good vacation until you take pictures of it and post it and make everybody feel bad about the vacation they're not having. And it's not a good deed. Here's the one I've noticed. It's not a good deed until you take a picture of it and let everybody know that you did it. That's when it becomes a good deed. And we live in an age, a strange, weird age, where the greatest thing you can be today is known. You know what? They don't care about your work. They don't care about your character. Nobody cares. All that matters is that we would be seen and we would be known. Did you know, did you know the Bible says that the last days will be marked by people who are prideful, arrogant, lovers of self. That's actually what the Bible says. In the last days, we'll be known by an age of people that are actually in love with themselves. Well, do you know tonight that that is in conflict with the attitude that it takes to come to Christ and to walk with Christ and to serve Christ. Now, that's the, that's the attitude of our age, but, but that is exactly in conflict with the attitude that it takes to come to Christ and to walk with Christ and to serve Christ. Did you know that's Satan's plan? Did you know we think this is random, this has just happened to us, we live in an age where everybody wants to post something? Did you know that is Satan's plan, that you can't walk with Jesus and self-promote and the God of our age has become self-promotion? Well, tonight we see the attitude that God can use. You want to be used by God? We're going to see the attitude that God is pleased with. Oh, I hope my life is pleasing to God. Tonight, we're going to see the attitude that God is honored in. And that is the attitude tonight of humility, humility. All right, let's go and let's look through our verses, starting in verse 22 tonight. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. There he was spending time with them and baptizing. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 22. When you live life with Jesus, the marvelous becomes your normal. When you live life walking with Jesus, the awesome becomes your average. Now think about this. Remember in John, Jesus 
has cleaned out the temple. He has declared that he is the Messiah. He has turned the water into wine. He has done many signs and miracles, so much so that people are taking note. He has had this discussion with Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. He told him John 3, 16. He has proclaimed that he is the remedy for sin, and if folks would look to him, they will be saved. He has done all of that in John chapter in, in the Gospel of John. And then verse 22, it says, and after these things, just that, that's all that he had done. It becomes a, an average thing, but it's an awesome thing. After these things, the Bible says, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. It actually translates the region of Judea, the, the area of Judea. Now, they were in Jerusalem. They had been in Jerusalem. That is in Judea. But now they are traveling around the area of Judea. So they have left Jerusalem, and now they are in the land of Judea, the region of Judea, and they are traveling around. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is spending time with his disciples and baptizing. Now, in chapter 4, we're going to see that actually the disciples are doing the baptizing. He is overseeing it, but they are, he is spending time with his disciples and baptizing. Now, I want us to be sure and get this. This is the same baptism of repentance that John the Baptist had been preaching. This is not talking about believer's baptism that, that we practice. It is not talking about Christian baptism that we understand, that we practice. Those are instituted after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. No, just as John the testifier, John the Baptist had done, this group, Jesus and his disciples, they are going around Judea and they are calling people to see their sin. They are calling people to be sorrowful over their sin and then to repent of their sin. Then their sign of repentance is this baptism of repentance. Now I want you to notice something already here in this first verse, this 22nd verse. Get this tonight. To be and to grow as a disciple of Jesus you have to spend time with Jesus, and you have to be on the mission of Jesus. Now, let me say that again. That's, that's pretty straightforward for us. Now, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, folks say, oh, I'd like, to, I'd like to be a disciple. I'd like to grow as a disciple. Well, here we see in this verse, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to spend time with Jesus, and you have to be on the mission of Jesus. Now, in these days, Jesus is training these disciples, and that's what he's doing. He is growing them, and he is teaching them, and he is very deliberate in the time that he spends with his disciples. Now, not only that, they are also on his mission. They are leading folks to see their sins, to, to be baptized, a baptism of repentance. Listen to me tonight, friends. For us tonight to be a disciple of Jesus, to exist as a disciple, to grow and flourish as a disciple, we have to spend time with Jesus. You know, it's absurd to think, you know what, I, I hope I am and not do anything about it. 
We have to spend time with Jesus. We have to spend time in his word. We have to spend time studying it and memorizing it and hearing it like we are tonight. We have to spend time in prayer. We have to spend time walking in obedience. And we must be on his mission. Let me tell you something. There's, there's a lot of folks, and I'll just tell you, if, if you're in this group, you're missing everything if you stopped at your decision to trust Christ. And there's folks saying, you know what, I want to get saved, and I got saved, and I checked it off, and I'm going to heaven, and that's about as far as I'm going to go. That's all I'm going to worry about. You are missing everything if you stopped at your decision to follow Christ. If your baptism was the last event in your movement of discipleship, you are missing everything. Listen, discipleship starts at conversion. It starts with a decision to follow Christ, but discipleship is the process that happens next. There are lots of unhappy and unfulfilled people who failed to walk and grow as disciples of Jesus. And I'll just tell you, you watch the, the church today and you look across and you survey churches today and we say, you know what, we've got the good news and we've got our Savior Jesus and you go to churches and they're filled with people that are sour and people that are upset and they got a list of things to complain about and they want to tell you this thing here and this thing there and that thing over there is not working. And I want to tell you, folks, if you knew your purpose, if you're walking with Christ, if you're growing as a disciple, it is only then that you'll find contentment and satisfaction in life. We're built to grow as disciples of Jesus. All right, watch this, verse 23. John the Baptist, John the Testifier, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim. Because there was much water there, and people were coming and being baptized. Now, it says here in verse 23, John the Baptist and his disciples were doing the same thing. Now, the place they were at was Anon, uh, it actually means the place of springs. And so wherever this place is, there's a bunch of springs putting out a lot of water. We're going to see that in a second. It was near Salim, which is the Hebrew word that means peace. And so they're at a place that has a bunch of springs close to another place that is a place of peace. Well, evidently because of these springs, there is much water there. Now, most people, most scholars believe uh, this area, these two cities were in Samaria. And so understand, Jesus and his group, they go to the south to Judea, and John the Baptist, John the Testifier, they go to the north to Samaria. One goes south and one goes to the north. Now together, they are calling people to see their sin. That's the beginning place of salvation. Together, they are calling people to be sorrowful over their sin, to repent of their sin, to turn from that sin, and to turn to God. Now get this, one goes to the north and one goes to the south, but they are on the same mission serving the same purpose. Friends, I want to tell you something. Two gospel witnesses are always better than one. Do you know that? And I'll just keep it going. Four gospel witnesses are always better than two. If you got four folks and they're shed, spreading the gospel 
It's always better than two and eight gospel witnesses. It's not a competition. It's not a contest. They're always better than four. Now I can keep going. 16 is better than eight. We live in a day when, when God moves and God works and people are getting saved, instead of celebrating, we start throwing rocks. And I watch it over and over again when God starts to move and folks start to hear the good news of a risen Savior and they start to trust in him and people are getting saved. Folks start to say, well, there must be some trick to that. Well, there's something going on over there. Well, have you heard all the bad things that go along with it? And people can not stand it. Well, I want to tell you, two gospel witnesses are better than one and John goes to the north and Jesus goes to the south. All right, verse 24. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, it's always interesting as we read through this, John, the apostle, the author, is writing, looking back. And so he's writing. He knows what has happened. And he says, for John the Baptist, John the testifier, the reason he's still doing this is because he had not yet been thrown into prison. It's not going to be very long. He will be thrown into prison. And from that prison... He will be beheaded. For John had not yet been thrown into prison, verse 25. Therefore, see this, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Now, John the testifier, John the Baptist, his, his disciples, they run into a Jew, um, and the word there is they have a discussion. Uh, the actual word in the original language means they have a dispute, uh, really as heavy as they actually have an argument. And so there's this Jewish guy, and he finds the, the disciples of John the Baptist, and they enter into a dispute, they enter into an argument over Jewish purification laws. Now, I don't know what the issue was. I don't know what law they're discussing. I don't know what they're upset over. But they begin to have an argument over this Jewish uh, purification law. Verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, listen to this. He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, they're telling on him. He is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now, let me, let me put this together for you tonight. This guy comes, this Jew comes, and he starts an argument with the disciples of John the Baptist over this law, over this issue. And evidently, in the course of the argument, he says, well, why should I listen to you? And that's what happens. Why, why should I listen to you? Your crowds are not as big as they were. They're not as big as they were not that long ago, but now they're all following this other guy. They're following the guy to the south named Jesus. Why do I care what you say about purification? You had a big crowd, and now it is small. And maybe, maybe this guy down there has the truth. Maybe I, I shouldn't waste my time here with y'all. Maybe I should go to him first. He's got a bigger crowd. It's what they say. And so these disciples, they don't know what the answer to that. So they come to John and they say, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you. Now I want you to notice this. They know his name. 
They know who he is. They won't say his name. They say he is copying you. He's also baptizing. That's our gig. That's what we've been doing. And they say, and all are coming to him. Now, that's a lie. That's an exaggeration. Some, the Bible says, are still coming to John. Some were mad, and they weren't going anywhere. And some were going to Jesus. But that's not what they say. They say everybody, all of them, are going to him. And they're mad, and they're upset, and they're jealous. And and they like being in the big crowd. They like being where things are happening. And they want John to do something about it. Get our place back. Get our crowd back. Watch this, verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Verse 27 is a very deep, profound answer. It's very telling about John the Baptist. It is a wise, mature answer. They come along and say, we don't like where we're at now. We don't like that the crowds are going somewhere else. Can't you do something about it? And he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. See this. I want you to see this. John the testifier, he knows the response is determined by God. He knows the platform is determined by God. He knows the size of the crowd is God's business. And and where he had a big crowd and where he saw people repent and where many folks were getting baptized and it was a great thing to be a part of, it was a great thing to see and behold, now Jesus has the growing crowd and this humble man says, either way, whoever's got the big crowd, I'll leave it to God. That's what he says. God's in charge of that. I'm not in charge of that. I'm going to leave it to God. That's what he says. Verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. John the Baptist, John the testifier reminds them, there's no mistake in what I said. You heard it. He reminds me, you know, you know what I said. You know that I made it very clear. I am not the Christ. I'm not the hope of man. I'm not the one you're looking for. He told him, I'm not the Christ. I am the one sent ahead of the Christ, of the Messiah. Listen, John knows who he is. And John knows his role. And John knows it's important. He knows he is sent, and he's sent by none other than God himself. He knows that he has a mission, and he knows that God gave him that mission. He knows he's the forerunner, the one that was told 700 years and 400 years earlier that he would prepare the way for the Savior. He knows who he is. And so he reminds his disciples of this. I never said I was a Christ. I'm the forerunner. I'm making the way. You know that. You heard it from me. I want you to notice something here. If John had told them who he was, that he's the forerunner, if John had told them who he was and he had, 
And if John had told them who Jesus was, he's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. If John had told them who Jesus was, and he had, then they were willing to stay, to stand in the way of the Messiah in order to keep their pride. And that's what this means. You know what? John told them who he was. John told them who Christ was. And they heard both those things. They knew both those things. What this means is they were more concerned with their pride than the coming of the Messiah. They were more important. Their status was more important to them. And it didn't matter if they were fighting against the will of God, if they were fighting against the movement of God, their pride was more important. Do you know that we are the same when we are silent, so nobody thinks we're crazy. You see, they, were, they, they knew who Christ was. They knew who John the Baptist was. They knew that redemption came through him, through Jesus. But they liked their position. They liked their status. Do you know we're just the same when we are silent, so no one thinks, well, they're weird? You're crazy. That's weird. You know, we're in the exact same thing. We're more worried about our pride when we don't want to get embarrassed. That's embarrassing. You've gone too far. You've become some kind of crazy kook. You're embarrassing us now. Do you know we're exactly the same when our pride outweighs the cause? Listen to me. There's folks that need to know about our hope. There's folks that need to know about our risen Savior, Jesus. And when we're silent because we're worried about our pride, we're the same as these folks. Their pride outweighed the cause. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made John the Baptist paints a picture here in verse 29. The, the bridegroom has the bride. The bride is his. And it says the friend of the bridegroom, that's like our best man, he assists the bridegroom. He helps prepare with the bridegroom. It was his job, listen to this, to usher the bride to the bridegroom. As part of that celebration, it was this guy's job to get the bride and to usher her to the bridegroom. Notice here, he doesn't say, I wish that she were mine. We're making our way there. I desire that I would marry her more than this guy. I deserve her more than he does. This ought to be my day. I ought to be the one celebrating today. No, it says when he hears the shout, the voice of the bridegroom, he rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's joy, because of his joy, he is filled with joy for his friend. John the testifier then says the sweetest words of this whole thing, I think. So this joy of mine has been made full. Be very clear tonight. Jealousy robs you of your joy. Wishing for somebody else's role robs you of your joy. Feeling like you've been slighted. Oh, I've been slighted. I got a raw deal in this. Robs you of your joy. 
Feeling like you're left behind. I don't know. Everybody went off and they did big things. They did great things. But I got stuck here doing this thing. Feeling left behind, it robs you of your joy. And John the Baptist says, I know who I am, and I know who he is, and I know what my role is, and I know what his role is. He's going to save the world. He's going to die for sinners, and my job is to uphold him. My job is to point people to him, and that is my job. And I take joy, and it's made full in knowing who I am and knowing who he is. My joy has been made full. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. In the original language, it literally means what it says. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's not about me, it's about him. In fact, it's all about him. Tonight, let me tell you the truth, it's all about him. It's not about us, it's about him. We can't hold back in our pride. We, we can't hold back. Why would in the world would we hold back in our pride? He must increase, and I must decrease. Do you know they both move on from here, from there? They both move on from there. And both of them will serve the purpose of God and the will of God from there. And both of them will die. One for the salvation of the world, and the other for the cause of that Savior. The Christian life is all about perspective. Let me ask you tonight, will you set down your pride? Will we set down our pride? Will we set down our pride and trust Jesus? Are we still trying to hold on? You know what? I might have enough willpower to pull this off. I might be able to muster up, do something, and, and I might pull it off. Or will you set down your pride and say, well, I'm hopeless in my sin. I'm lost, ruined in my sin, and I need a Savior. And I set down my pride, and I turn to Jesus. Will you set it down in your daily life, in your daily walk, or would you try to pick up your priorities, your, your goals again, or will you say, no, those don't matter anyway, and I've, I've got to set them down, and I've got to walk consistently in humility? Will you set down your pride and your service of Jesus and say, no, what, his name's a bigger deal, infinitely so, than, than my name? His cause is the cause that outweighs all other causes, including mine. Will you set down your pride to serve Jesus? The Christian life is all about perspective. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for the truth of your word, and I'm thankful for these verses that may not seem to fit in the things that were going on, but I see tonight they're a perfect fit. And I see a man that you call the greatest of men, and I see it must be because he was the humblest of people. Lord, I pray that we would imitate him. I pray that our goal would be his goal. I pray that our mission would be his mission, that we would want to point others to Christ, exalt Christ, not ourselves. Lord, I pray first off the starting place is this, that we would set down our pride and turn to Jesus, trust Jesus, 
And I pray that's the response to this message. There's only hope in Jesus, peace in Jesus, only life filled with life in Jesus. I, I pray that we'd see our pride as ridiculous and silly. We'd set it down and we'd trust you. Lord, I, I pray in this time of invitation that you would move. I pray that you would work. I pray that you'd work in our hearts and our minds. I, I pray that the fruit of it, the result of it, would be you be known and received and glorified in the process. Lord, we come and we tell you we love you. And we say with our mouths, you're the one. You're the one. We praise you and we worship you tonight. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service tonight with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I, I truly do believe this is the point to tonight. This is the point to tonight to, to respond to the truth of God's preached word. I want to tell you that the truth is this. We have hope tonight. In a world that even today seems hopeless, even today the news just gets worse and worse. We have hope in a Savior tonight. If we will turn to him no matter our sin, he'll forgive us. He'll restore us. He'll renew us. He'll save us is his own testimony. We have hope. We have good news tonight. If you're hearing this tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, turn to him tonight. Trust him tonight. Receive his grace tonight in the person of Jesus. The Bible says if we'll profess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, we shall be saved. Trust Jesus tonight. Trust Jesus. If you're here and you've trusted in Christ that you never followed in believer's baptism, I'm going to give you an opportunity as well to say to what it's important to, to be obedient to Christ. I want to testify what I believe of Christ, what I believe has happened in me through Christ. And you come and we'll set a day of, of celebration and it'll be your testimony to what you believe of Christ. Again, he tells us this is what we do. Not as part of salvation, but in, in honor and celebration of it. Maybe you're here tonight looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God's led you here as well. You come and together we'll uphold his word. We'll uphold his good news to a lost and dying world until he comes back again and gets us. Maybe tonight you want to come and pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe I don't even know what issue. Maybe no one else knows what issue you're dealing with. I'm going to tell you, God says nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. He is living. He hears. He, he cares. He loves you. So maybe you want to use this time to come pray at an altar, pray with me. Maybe pray where you're seated. This is our time to respond to the truth of God's word. I'm going to ask if you have a decision to make, we're going to stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you.